welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. And today we are here to discuss episode four of season three, titled Nobody Sleeps. I'm back again with David Green. David, how you doing? I'm doing all right. My triumphant return. I was going to say, what number is this? (laughs) (laughs) I think you've done more episodes than I have. (laughs) (laughs) This is what, like five, six? Uh, This is my fourth one. This is fourth? One, two, three, four, five. This might be your sixth. Because you did one in season two, and you did three in season two. You did... Yeah. Oh, you're right, you're fifth, the, and then you did Six Feet Under 2017. Yeah. I'm glad Seasons, we got yeah. that out of the way. <laughs> and today we're here to discuss Nobody Sleeps, which, uh, like I had told you, was somewhat of a highly requested episode. And now after what the first time I watched it, I was like, I could see why there's a lot going on. And then, mm. like we were talking off mic, I was kind of having trouble with this episode on just the... I don't know if I'd call it complex, but there's there there's a lot of double meaning and hidden meaning and stuff. Even though mm-hmm. some of the stuff is very blatantly obvious, like Ruth and uh, uh, Ruth and Lisa turning around at the same time, and it's like, oh, well, we know what's happening yeah. here. <laughs> and there is a uh, commentary on this episode by Alan Poole, and we had both listened to it. Um, so I'm sure you have some notes to add in mm-hmm. uh, as we go through the episode, as do I. And this episode uh, aired on March 23rd, 2003. And he also did, and I'm sure, uh, I guess I'll stop referencing that you also listened to the commentary because there's a part in here that, uh, well, let me let me start here. He also directed episode 10 of season two, which was called The Secret. And uh, I'm bringing okay. that up because I'll bring it up later because he mentions it. There's uh, some correlation, you know, linear there. Uh, but I guess the, you know our our death capsule starts out there. There's a bunch of men from. We could assume that this is part part of David's choir that he's in now because he kind of mentions uh, yeah. that, right? Well, yeah. I mean, at, at least one of the people there I think is part of the chorus. I can't remember if they're all supposed to be or not. Right, yeah. right. And they're hanging around watching. Oh man, oh, the bad seed. Yeah, the and, bad seed. Hey, okay, so let me ask you: Is this a thing? Because I had I didn't know this was a thing, and just doing some of my research and reading, apparently this is a thing. Even in the commentary, he says it. Do you, Do you just know? A, just a group of caddy gay guys watching you know bad movies. Oh, but it sounded like this movie specifically. He kept saying, "Oh yeah, um, yeah." There there are certain movies that that are that have that campy appeal, and yeah, I mean it, it does happen, yeah. It just seems like this is one of the things where you and your friends get together and you just kind of who could come up with like the wittiest dialogue uh-huh. as you watch this movie. I had never heard of it. Uh, why, I guess when I first watched the episode prior to the commentary, I thought this was just, you know, kind of just when you're, you're hanging out with your friends and you just start doing stuff like this. But apparently this is like a thing, a movie in the gay community. I don't, I don't know. Um, well, yeah, it's like um, whatever happened to Baby Jane and Mommy Dearest. And mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. sort of a kind of that group of uh, around that time period. Right. There's a lot of really campy, great movies that, that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we basically see a bunch of guys hanging around and we see Kevin. Uh, hold on here because my notes are a little weird. Ke- who's Kevin is the one who dies. No, Robert is the one who dies. Right. Okay. So 
uh, Kevin is holding Robert's hand, and we see that Robert is sick. You know, on mm-hmm. his, you know, he has the uh, the oxygen in his nose and everything, and he has the the IV thing standing there. And as they're yeah. all laughing, we see uh, Robert goes rather peacefully, and yeah. I, I, you know, I like that it wasn't Kevin freaking out where you don't get this. Oh my God! Someone called nine one one and all this stuff. It's kind of they they. Uh, uh, Robert realized it first because you know he feels it in the hand and in the eyes, and then he goes and Kevin just kind of, you know, he holds his hand and just kind of looks at him for a little bit. I assume before he said something, you know. Yeah, I mean, and that look on um, that look on Kevin's face when he realizes that Robert is gone—it's just heartbreaking. The acting there is just superb. It is. But uh, can you follow me down here? Where while it is heartbreaking, it's also kind of. As beautiful as death can be, and I don't say that in a, in a disturbing way, but I mean, what better way from what we learn of these guys together 22 years, what better way to go, right? I mean, oh, he's yeah. not he's not yeah. in a hospital and, and all that hospital sanitization and sitting there with your friends laughing, you know, you're in each other's arms. Heartbreaking, yeah, I mean, super sad, but also kind of beautiful, you know? Yeah, I mean, definitely not a bad way to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure he was in pain and everything, but yeah, he, he went peacefully. Yeah, and it's, I mean, how much pain, while I'm with you, right? I mean, he was dying, so he obviously was yeah. in a lot of pain. But how much pain could he have been if, because I, uh, I, as I always do during these episodes, I have the, the episode playing while I, we, I record the podcast. And I mean, he has his arm around him and he's laughing. I mean, if I would consider myself rather lucky if I get to laugh, if I'm laughing... And, you know, it's not something tragic. If I'm laughing, surrounded by my friends, r- yeah. moments before I die, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think it's rather one of the, I mean, off the top of my head, one of the more beautiful, or isn't a word, nicer deaths, you know? Uh, Yeah. You know? I, yeah, I suppose you could you could say that, yeah. And I, and I forget, um, um, future-wise. And our show opens, our episode opens, rather. Uh, I mean, this is... <laughs> One of the to me it was one of the freakiest moments in the show oh, where God, yeah. <laughs> Nate wakes up and you expect him to be next to Lisa and what turns over is Ruth and, and she uh-huh. and she starts cooing like a pigeon. Like, <laughs> oh, I mean, here's what's funny about it and like how how amazing it is to get freaked out by that. It's not my mother and it's not even Nate's actual mother. Like it's a total television thing in here and you're, and you're just like, whoa, what the heck, you know? Uh-huh. Uh the commentary you had seen that uh Frances Conroy came up with that by herself to like to like yeah. purr like <laughs> that. She added that, which is amazing. <laughs> but oh god, it also is scary just and, and that's kind of like we get what's happening this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, and we saw that kind of at the close of the last episode. I off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly how it ends. Oh, she she uh leaves. Um Lisa quits uh, uh her job from Carol. Oh, right, and yeah. now they're like now Nate's kind of open freedom and exploring this, and you'll see it by episodes. And is now coming, you know, way closer to home. Uh, mm-hmm. They're planning uh, Ruth's birthday party, and I love the line from Lisa. And I guess it's kind of true, right? That she says, "Just because someone tells you they don't want you to do something, doesn't mean they don't want you to do it." Well, I mean, it was specifically for the, for the birthday, and in. Look, yeah, I hate my birthday. I'm right there with Ruth. Oh, I'm I, so I, with you. I'm so with you there. I hate my birthday. 
<laughs> Go on. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, if you want to buy me a little present or something, that I, I won't. I won't say no. But uh, yeah, do do not wish me a happy birthday. Don't do you no. Know, just just let it go by. <laughs> you know. Now, knowing 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 that there are people like that, right? Because there's a certain point in your life where you're like, everyone loves their birthday because you get celebrated and everything. And then over the course of time, there, I, you know, there, there is more and more people like you and me. Ruth, do you think taking everything into account? I, I guess I'm kind of answering my own question here, but does she truly not want anything? Because I mean, it sounds like this has been a staple in the Fisher family, even while Nathaniel was there. Yeah, I mean, I I, I buy that Ruth just doesn't want it because she just doesn't strike me as the kind of person who wants a fuss. Well, that's what I, was I, I think. I think she does want it, but oh, she knows okay. what a hassle it is. So therefore yeah, she's kind of like tricked herself into saying, no, no, no. I don't. You know, when I say I don't like anything for my birthday, I'm like being a thousand percent positive where like I've spent a few birthdays and, you know, in my later twenties, it's sort of the thing to go out and have a dinner. And there, you know, I became the person out of my friends where I don't do anything. And, I was truly happy sitting home, you know, eating chips, playing video games totally by myself. I was totally okay with it. And that might sound so sad to some people. I imagine Ruth has spent many birthdays like that, probably not playing video games, but has secretly really wanted to be kind of what's put on display here, you know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the the line when, when Keith and David, that David, uh, Keith rather brings up that, you know, he's going over to his birthday play, the birthday uh, of Ruth and the, the, the line that Keith, um, God, I'm missing all the names up here. David, uh-huh. uh, when he's like, well, how dare Lisa put on a party for my brother? You know, we've oh, been yeah. go- <laughs> he's, 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 he's like practically horrified. He's offended. He's offended that, yeah. his, that Lisa's throwing his mother a birthday party. Um, I just love yeah. like, you know, the, the hypocrisy in it. Can I say something about the previous scene, or are we going to come back to that No, stuff? no, yeah, we, this, is, this is all free-flowing. Okay, cool. Um, when Nate and, and Lisa are talking about the dinner, and Nate is, you know, don't do anything, she doesn't want anything, mm-hmm. and then Nate says, keep your expectations low. Yeah. We get that look on Lisa's face, and it's like she thinks, is he talking about the party or our marriage? <laughs> she, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that Lisa is very uh, insecure, yeah. But, you know, it's like I told you uh, on Facebook or mm-hmm. somewhere. It's like she's looking for reasons to be offended. Yeah. Uh, I, and I mean, I guess it's almost like at the end of this episode, that's exactly what you get. Yeah. The, the idea where Nate is like, hey, thank you. And I, I, I see what's funny there is I understand where Lisa's coming from, where if, if my significant other came up to him and was like, hey, thank you for being present and being whatever. I get I could see how. I could see how someone could be offended, mm-hmm. but it wasn't meant in that way. And you're right. Lisa's always Lisa's always there to grab the ticket to be offended. <laughs> it's always well, there for her. Well, in, in in a normal TV show, it would be you know maybe the guy who's who's doing that, right? And kind of looking for a, kind of looking for a way out. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know I think part of Lisa is actually looking for a way out already. You think so, huh? Yeah, and I can't get into why I think that without the spoilers. Right, right, right. So. Oh, man. And see, that's funny because, I mean, what this episode kind of tells us, you know, in, in character arc here is that Nate is fighting off that temptation to run away. Yeah. Right? That he's sort of turning into Nathaniel. And, um, yeah, I wish we could talk spoilers because I definitely would like to delve more into that. But uh, I, off the top of my head, I don't know exactly what you're referencing, so... 
maybe we'll just move on. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, when when and then when Claire learns over the birthday party, we see that she has other plans, and I love uh, Lisa tells Claire uh, they're talking about. Uh, Phil from the previous episode and I guess really telling of Lisa right that sometimes you just have to wait for the guy you're sleeping with and who's treating you like this to grow up mm-hmm. it's kind of what happened to Lisa right I guess she was yeah. forced into it by Nate Lisa scolding Claire for not being there for the party uh-huh. that's Ruth <laughs> Cause yeah. it, and then in a few moments is where we get that reveal when they both turn around but I just, the way, just the way Lisa was, you know, oh, come on, Claire, you're not going to be there. I was like, oh my God, that is Ruth. And then moments later we get that, oh God, when they're putting on the apron and then Nate walks in. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. R- Ruth, ever the caretaker wants to make sure she doesn't mess up her dress. And, and, but, but it, but it's, it so sets up that moment when Nate comes in and they both turn around and they're both wearing an apron and they're, but they even basically have the same look on their face. Right. Right. And their hair's kind of done the same way and everything. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny if, if I, I wish I wish if I was wa- watching this in 2003, I was, I was going live. I don't know if I would have like suspected this within the first, I don't know if there was there enough there in the first three episodes. You know what I mean? No, or do you think yeah, there was? I mean, uh, no, I, I don't think there was. I mean, I mean, it's there, but I probably wouldn't have noticed it either. Right, right. This kind of seems like a plot point that kind of got developed at the end of the last episode, and then this episode just takes it forward. Six Feet Under Humor here, when Lisa's asking what she should cook, and I don't have the exact uh, uh, item she wants to cook, but I forget, is it Ruth? Yeah, I think it's Ruth is uh, to not make that because it makes Nate too gassy. No, and, it's... Uh, oh, go it's ahead. Chi- well, it's chickpeas, and they okay. make Ruth ga- and they make Ruth gassy. <laughs> That's even funnier because Lisa's comment and it's kind of under her breath and away from everyone is just, you know, this is an unusually gassy family. Yeah. And and, and, uh, Alan Poole mentioned that in the commentaries that, you know, a few times that that Ruth has mentioned that uh, Nate was a gassy baby. And Mm -hmm. I guess this is the payoff (laughs) for that. I guess before we get into the birthday party, we could uh, we could move into Ruth and Bettina. Mm hmm. It is probably the most Ruth thing to schedule a dentist appointment on her birthday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she needs to go get her teeth clean. What am I going to do? Neglect my oral hygiene. Right, you know? right. And, and she, it, you know, yeah. and it, and it's on her birthday. It's what she wanted to do. And it's, you know, it's so, you're right. It's so Ruth. And I mean, while saying I'm not a person who, who goes above and beyond for my birthday, I don't think I would have scheduled. I mean, unless it was like the only appointment available and it happened to be on my birthday. Yeah. But I have the feeling Ruth was like, oh, March 23rd, that's fine with me, you know? <laughs> you know, it, it gives her something to do that day. <laughs> I guess so, right? To get me yeah. out of the house. Uh, well, on the commentary, Alan Poole said something great that kind of, my mind was there, but he sort of brought it out. And, and it was that Bettina is everything that Ruth's kind of been running away from. Oh, yeah. And that she's just this, this, no, no, I don't want to say no frills. Uh, no in, regard in, in a good way. In my notes, I, I call her a chaotic force. Right, right. But in a good way. Yeah. In, in terms in, of oh, like... Totally in a good way. Yeah. Just uh, not caring about anything. When they get massaged... Well, let me uh, go, go, just go back a second. When she sort of blows up at the receptionist. Uh-huh. Where that was coming from, did, did, did you read into that at all? I mean, I just, I found it like, like, okay. Like, I didn't think she was acting that bitchy. The receptionist? No, no, but I, I think that Bettina is just one of those people who, 
doesn't suffer fools and and not not that I'm saying that the receptionist was being a fool or anything, but at the same time, Bettina just she just has no patience patience for shit. You know? <laughs> yeah, I guess she was willing. I get. I I almost feel like no matter what that receptionist said, she would have responded like that. Well, yeah. And uh, uh, I definitely think that's not the first nor the last time that she has done that. And I imagine she's oh, no. gotten like free stuff out of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, one other thing before we move on from that scene, mm-hmm. uh, they bring up uh, Ruth's sister, who's apparently in rehab and, and doing better. <laughs> yeah. And let's see, it was yeah, it was Bettina said that she's become best friends with someone who fucked Michael Douglas. Right. <laughs> and in my notes, I even have you know me. That hardly narrows it down. <laughs> you know, it was just a little yeah, thing yeah, that I thought yeah. was funny. Yeah, yeah. To to <laughs> to, to, to further the, the 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 Bettina point, uh, when they get massages, mm-hmm. Ruth admits she has an affair, and mm-hmm. some of this now now after I've it's funny. This commentary is one of the first ones that was actually insightful to the storyline. Mm-hmm. where he kind of just kept letting you, giving you insight into where he was writing and everything. So some of my thoughts are kind of jumbled with the commentary, but Ruth admits she has an affair mm-hmm. with Nathaniel to Bettina. And I remember watching it just sort of being like, you know, I mean, I have here in my notes, likened it to like a little kid saying, my dad can lift up a car. He's strong. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm also a little crazy too, Bettina, you know? But... Yeah, I, uh-huh. I think Bettina... Uh, her influence in, in Ruth's life, right, life, God, I can't even talk today, is is giving Ruth maybe some some strength, maybe pushing her just a little bit, you know, kind of like you say, uh, coming out of her shell just a little bit, because this is not something that Ruth would reveal to anybody else. And, you know? yeah, yeah, and she wouldn't reveal it to anyone else. Also, she probably would never get a massage, <laughs> you know? No, definitely so there's like there's like a lot going on in terms of, like you said, Ruth coming out of her shell. What's funny about her admitting the the affair is we're not halfway yet in Six Feet Under, right? If there's 63 episodes, you'd have to get to 31, and we are now at, like, what, 26, 26? We're at 30, so almost there. But basically, up until this point, Ruth has been battling uh, sort of the idea of having— I mean, it's not as present in every episode, but when it does get brought up, Ruth kind of struggles with the idea that she cheated on Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. And within moments that she admits this, Bettina, Bettina's like, "Yo, you gotta let that go." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it took her two seconds to destroy what you know. Ruth has been a, a year and change battling. You know, oh, yeah. I and what met, I think is, uh-huh. what I think is kind of funny about that is, you know, Ruth reveals this as like you said, and Bettina, yeah, she just sort of steamrolls over it. She doesn't appreciate what a moment that was for Ruth to admit that. Yeah, just oh, like yeah, just so quickly, you know. <laughs> I guess we could sort of move on to. I'm trying to set up everything before we get to the uh, the birthday party. Uh, Robert coming in for the intake. Uh, there, there's finally we get. You know, it's funny because like the past two episodes, and I, I've said it before that the the show sort of moves away from the funeral industry. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot like you know now there's a but there's a few moments in this episode that I can finally like, you know put out my little funeral knowledge. Um, but uh, on the commentary, he said that the reason why they call it an intake is because that's that's what the industry term is. I mm-hmm. never heard it called an intake when you're making arrangements. I've always heard making arrangements. But Alan Poole must have had, they must have, whoever their funeral consultant was, must have said that that's, that's what the industry term is. But every place kind of has their own, you know, slang and everything. 
Yeah. But just going to like industry meetings and whatever, I've never heard it called an intake. But if you know well, directors out there, if you've heard it called that, uh huh. Well, I mean, I, I said before on the podcast that, you know, I, I actually know another funeral director. Right. And that's what he's always called it, an intake. Really? See, that's interesting. Um, so so at I, least one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And listen, listen, just because I haven't heard it. And that's why I always say, like, I've been doing this 11 years, but I, like, I've, I've just, you know, people say they barely scratch the surface. I scratch the surface. But that, there's so much more to know. And, you know, it's not something that you could ever... You know, even the most veteran experienced funeral director still has stuff to learn, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, hey, if, if you know, you know someone that's called it an intake, uh, just that's just a part of the industry I haven't heard of yet. When we learn here that what Kevin died of, I'm glad it wasn't AIDS because I feel like that would have been such a typical rote thing to do. I'm really glad they didn't do that yeah, to Yeah, me too. And I, I like that he kind of... The way he kind of says it, too, is kind of like the show winking at us, like, yeah, we're not going to be that typical and make the gay guy, you know, uh, die of AIDS. And they kind of mention it, too. It's like, you know, we were kind of lucky to survive the AIDS scare. In, yeah. In the um, 80s. Yeah. When I lived in L.A., I knew a, a guy of about this generation, and and he said it to me more on more than one occasion he doesn't know how he survived <laughs> because, you know, he, he had his wild times during, you know, the seventies and eighties. Right. And, you know, before AIDS became like a, a, a huge thing, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, he said that he has no idea how he survived. I'm, I'm surprised it took six feet under uh, this long. Well, while, while glad it didn't do AIDS, I'm also surprised that it took them this long to get to, uh, Oh God! I didn't get. I just knew it was enlarged heart. Was it something mm-hmm. myopathy? Uh, car- cardio cardiomyopathy, which is an enlarged heart. Yeah, it's a nice touch. I'm just surprised it took them. I feel like they would have grabbed at that something sooner. And an enlarged heart really doesn't mean you love someone more. It's more figuratively, metaphorically, mm-hmm. I guess. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought that that was. I thought it was a nice touch. You know, his yeah. heart was too big. Right. Right. You know, it's. And uh, a bleeding heart. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Kevin claims he has power of attorney. And, mm-hmm. you know, Nate's kind of like, if you wouldn't mind forward that over. To my, to my, well, you know what? This is, actually, no, because this, this, this might be burial. It might necessarily be cremation. I, I know in the state of Florida, and I'm pretty sure it extends to other places, power of attorney dies with the person. So oh, let's really? say, so let's say I have, but it only kind of matters in terms of cremation because cremation is final. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if someone's buried and that person was supposed to be buried, they can always dig them up. But yeah. like if let's say I had a power, well, let's not kill you. Let's kill me. So let's say David has power of attorney <laughs> over Victor. When I die, your power of attorney also dies unless, okay. unless stuff is set up otherwise. I, I, I did a little research. I know it's true in Florida. I'm not sure if it's true for the rest of the 50 states, but. Just speaking to a few funeral directors, it is true, but I definitely would like to be find out otherwise, you know? Mm-hmm. This outrageous opera. Yeah. I, as a funeral director, this is something I would beg to, to welcome into my, not my <laughs> funeral home, but to be a part of. I was actually going to, I was going to uh-huh. ask you if, if you were in this situation in, you know, your funeral home or... Mm-hmm. maybe places you've worked before, would this even be entertained? You know, it really comes down to how progressive the owner is. Yeah. Because part of it 
you know, if you get a real traditional family, that's a, and maybe if you're in a real traditional neighborhood, you know, you might get no, you might get labeled as oh, the funeral home that throws those wacky funerals. Yeah. But I imagine people closer, like in our age range. Well, you know what it is too. It's like me and you. I imagine me and you see this as wow, this is kind of really beautiful. Yeah. Some other people might say this is so dumb. And you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be the Rico mouthpiece, and I'm not saying it, but someone might say this is so gay. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, so, but but let 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 let's take that. You know, uh, in America at least, we're we're more progressive and everything, or we're getting more progressive. I would welcome this with open arms, and I'd want to be a part of it. It would it would really be up to the owners in the end because this seems like a huge production, but. Mm-hmm. How much more fitting and memorable and personal can you get than this? Well, I mean, mm-hmm. just sitting here thinking about it, you know, yeah. we have a we have a funeral home here in my little town of you know four thousand. Mm-hmm. I don't see them doing it, right? Right, and 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 I imagine the, a lot of those little neighbor, I don't call them, little areas where it's a lot more like that. No, because this is you could turn away a lot of your clients. Mm-hmm. But you get other places, you know. There's that thing, and I'm I, I read about it from time to time, but I can never get a timestamp on it. You ever see those, those pictures of where like the dead, the deceased is is riding a motorcycle, or the boxer that's standing up in the ring? Have you ever seen that or no? Uh, you mean after death or yeah, yeah. It, no, it's, uh, not 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 off the top of my head. Uh, it's in the, re- the, the article I had read, it was in Puerto Rico. I'm 99% positive. And it was this, uh, this, the, one of them was like a motorcycle guy who had died young and he was, his wake instead of being in the casket was on. Oh yeah. He was buried on his motorcycle. Well, uh, I don't know about buried on the motorcycle, but rather to the wake where he was displayed okay. was like he was on the motorcycle. Well, I went, yeah, I went, saw a story where a guy was actually buried sitting on his motorcycle. I mean, and, and, and. Stuff like that is, yeah. is I don't know how, I mean, eventually it's going to come to America when we, I guess we loosen up a little bit, but that's something I've wanted to do and, and not at the company, company I'm at now, but the company prior, I brought that up to them. I was like, hey, if, you know, and it, everyone says, no way, you can't, <laughs> no one wants to be the first. Yeah. Because God forbid something goes wrong, it could be disastrous and rightfully so. Yeah. But imagine it going the other way, you know, how memorable. Yeah. And I don't think we're there yet as society to let's let, let, let's keep killing me. I'm dead. And <laughs> you put me at like, you know, my, my couch and I ha- I'm like, t- looks like I'm talking into the mic, you know? Yeah. We set uh-huh. we set you up like playing Xbox or something. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, that's I don't think we're there yet as a society, but it, it's amazing to think of like, you know, how truly tributing can you get, you know? Mm-hmm. I love this idea, and I, I can't remember another six feet under funeral being this expansive. But I, I, I love the idea, and I love that they bring it to the Fishers, and we see that Rico kind of has a problem with it, but not really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, if I can get into Rico just for, just for a second here, sure. Uh, he's actually come a long way since season one, as far as I mean, he was kind of a. He was kind of a homophobic asshole in season one. Yeah, he's he's made a lot of progress. The the scene when when they're they're talking, you know, they kind of say, "Hey, Rico, we're going to have this funeral," and he brings up this whole I don't really know remember what he was referring to, but a, a play he saw. Mm-hmm. And at the end, when he was like, you know, and it was it was so, and David interrupts him, gay. 
Uh-huh. I'm borrowing this from John Teddy from the AV Club, but Rico wasn't going to say gay because to your point, he's kind of made that arc, but mm-hmm. he didn't mean it. You know, he wasn't mm-hmm. going to say gay, but he definitely meant it, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, I mean, the way Rico describes the the actors, you know, prancing and singing and dancing right, right, the, right. at the top of their lungs uh-huh. and, you know, flapping his arms around. He, he, he meant gay. Right, right. He meant gay. He just wasn't going to say it. One of my favorite examples of that in um, in pop culture is on the show Ugly Betty. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all go to this, uh, gosh, it was like a one of those stupid restaurants where they do the jousting, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, they all go in there and one of the characters says, wow, this is so gay. And the gay character says, no, it's really not. <laughs> right? It's, it's yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really not. One of the moments, again, where, where we get, I get to talk a little bit about the funeral industry is while they're having this conversation, uh, Rico is, if you look, he has like this bucket and this brush and you see him just kind of plastering on something. Mm-hmm. It's actually massage cream. I don't know if I've spoke about it before on the podcast, but uh, a- after, after you embalm, you, you know, you, you embalm, you, you're dehydrating the tissue and you're mm-hmm. firming it. That makes it like kind of really hard to put on cosmetics afterwards. Uh-huh. What Rico's put it on uh, makes for the cosmetics to, to go on a lot easier. I was actually going to ask you what he was slathering yeah. her with. Yeah. And, and the label is there and it's still the same label today. It's, it's made from this company Dodge and it's, I think it, they call it Kalon cream, but it's, it's, we call it massage cream. Kind of like, uh, um, not to dry something out, kind of like Vaseline, but I, what I've never seen is putting it on the arms despite the fact cosmetics sometimes go on there if a person is wearing like a, I guess more for a woman, right? Wearing like a, like a dress, uh, no sleeve dress or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Commonly, more commonly that's used on the face and it just, it, it provides such a great base for cosmetics. But I just wanted to point out that I, you know, I had seen them slathering this on. I've just never seen it. Someone put it on the arms like that. What I really liked here is that when the scene ends and they talk about, you know, they're going to do this, this funeral, it cuts to Ruth at the massage parlor, uh-huh. but they only show her hand. Yeah. So that, it was sort that, of like to like play with, oh, this could have been, you know, the person. Yeah. That was a very clever cut. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that meant anything. There was no like hidden meaning. No, but it was, it was, it was just, just a nice, really, yeah, yeah. It was a really clever cut. Uh, when they're setting up for the opera, in the Fisher Chapel, mm-hmm. you know, we get some talk with Robert and he's kind of checking out one of the workers and the idea that he's already checking out men or whatever. Did you see any of Bettina in Robert? No, not really. Um, you know, I just sort of saw him as this as this guy who's who had a lifestyle with his partner and he's, you know, his mindset hasn't really changed. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. they they used to hook up with other people and, you know... Mm-hmm. I, you know, in in my head, it's like, well, and he even says something to this effect. Bob would want it this way for me to just keep checking out guys. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't actually say that, but it's kind right, of, right, yeah, it's implied. It's, it's kind of there. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Just the way he was, you know, it didn't matter. Like, it didn't matter that he was literally there setting up the funeral. I was like, I'm going to check out this guy regardless. But I think mm-hmm. I would lean towards more what you said in that that's the way Kevin would have wanted it, and that's probably how they were all the time, right? Oh, yeah. Like constantly checking out other men or, you know, whatever. Um, this kind of prompts David to think, you know, 
how they lasted 22 years like this and <laughs> you, you kind of compare it to David and Keith and uh, if we're yeah. if we're like a year and a half, maybe even let's say two years in this show, right? The timeline, yeah. <laughs> David and Keith could barely last and it's constant struggling, constant fighting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, David and Keith's arc this episode, I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of jumping around here, but I guess it's hard to talk about without going. I, I guess, do you have anything on their arc? Because it, it ends with David just blubbering into Keith's arms about wanting to stay together. Is David crying because he knows it's not going to be worth it, as he says? Or, or he just is he just so moved by the funeral? You know, sometimes you just need a good cry. I think the, the thing that really kind of got me about David and Keith in this episode is just how much they've changed as a couple since, like... Uh, since the end of season two. Mm-hmm. I mean, David isn't afraid to let Keith see him cry anymore. And Keith is, you know, he asks what's wrong. That's not something that season two Keith did. That's a good point. Yeah. You know? yep. And and he actually puts his arms around David and lets David cry on him. And it's, you know, they've grown quite a bit as a couple, I think. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah, I think, I think season two and one, season one and two Keith would have, Kind of told David to butch up, I guess, right? Yeah, basically. When he's blubbering like that, but now he's he's you know they're they're a little bit more in tune with each other. Yeah. Well, and they've been mm-hmm. and and have they? Oh, maybe spoiler. I don't think so. Have they started therapy yet? Yeah, yeah. They started. It was the first okay, okay. first episode. Yeah. Okay. So you know, apparently that's working for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh the idea where David is sort of he's kind of back on that. Oh, you're being too gay. Just sort of, you know, because um, just the way, you know, that they're setting up and the way he's talking about this this worker's ass and, and even when I'm messing up all the names here, Nate. Nate's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, you could probably have a great relationship if he's out there fucking everyone. Yeah, uh, Nate says uh, making a relationship work is easy if, if you can fuck whoever you want. Yeah, and David's like almost offended. It seems like David's the type of guy where you can never like curse around him. Yeah. Well, I think mm-hmm. I think that David had idealized this relationship, you know, during the the intake scene, you know, together twenty two years, and it must and he projected this entire idea of what they were like. <laughs> right. On, right. And when that's dashed, I think that I think Nate could have said just about anything, and David would have reacted badly to it because because <laughs> his world has basically just been rocked. Yeah, uh, and and I I could totally understand that, right? If you're, yeah. if I if I just project this image of of a couple, and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, they're the complete opposite. You know, you think they're yeah. so loyal together, and actually it's the opposite. They're out fucking everyone, and they're having a great well, yeah. time doing so. Well, yeah, I mean, I think David just imagined that that Robert, uh, yeah, Robert and Kevin, you know, came home at the end of the day and sat in front of the TV and watched, you know. Movies or whatever with a bowl of popcorn and all this, you know. No, they were out. They were out partying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, because the the reason why I brought up like David's kind of he, he's he's I don't know shy or embarrassed of being gay again is that because I mean the scene there where they're, they're uh, it's during the dinner party but Keith goes to kiss him and David's kind of like no no not here but when we find out that Kevin has a Prince Albert. Oh yeah. Did you know what a Prince Al? Well, did you know what a Prince Albert was? Because I've never heard of this, even watching this show. Yeah, I knew what a Prince Albert was. <laughs> uh, I'm with Rico. I don't yeah. understand who the pleasure is for. 
I don't understand it either. I I knew what it was, but yeah, I uh, I no. can't see that being. First of all, I can't be. I can't see that not being extremely dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and painful. Pain. I mean, painful. Yes, but in, in the act of sex, how that thing doesn't get caught or or or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this kind of leaves the two of them to have this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like Rico was just having guy talk, although I'm yeah. not someone who has this kind of guy talk, but he was just kind of a, a bro talk, right? Well, yeah, and, and this goes back to what I was talking about, you know, uh, how far Rico has come. Yeah. This is not this is not something that Rico would have talked to David about in the in the first season. And the, the fact is, he's asking questions. You know about yeah. about how guys have their balls shaved, and you know ask you know what what's that all about? You know he's being intellectually curious, and David kind of turns into an asshole. And first of all, I think it's so funny the way Rico's like, you know, I've seen a guy a lot of guys with shave balls in here. What's yeah. that about? <laughs> I just yeah. felt like it was like a little kid, like, hey, dad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm totally with you. Like, I I thought Rico was just kind of being inquisitive and. Maybe there's a tinge of I'm having this conversation with a gay man, so I could kind of be a little curious and and maybe say some things I wouldn't probably ask another straight man. But in, uh-huh. in the end, it was still in a bro chat. It was just like, "Hey man, you, yeah. you, you shave your balls too? Like, what's up with that?" And David's yeah. just like, "Yeah, sometimes though it doesn't get stuck in my mouth, and it's for oral pleasure and stimulation and all this." And you want to know how Keith and- is? And Rico's just like, "Nope, all yep. good here." <laughs> Would you like to ask if I shave my balls? <laughs> nope, I'm good. <laughs> and I, yeah, it's it's um, yeah, David, David, David's the asshole here in a rare scenario. Well, you know it, and it's, and you might want to edit this out because you know it's whatever. Um, I'll, a few years ago, I caught up with some of the the guys that I went to high school with, mm-hmm. and as soon as they found out I was in a relationship with a guy, they started asking questions, and I think <laughs> I think it's something that uh, Ken. Uh, one of your previous guests says, yeah. "It's not the it's not the job of the minority to educate the majority." Mm-hmm. But but you know if you're if you're sincerely intellectually curious about something, and it's not too overly personal, I'll tell you. You know I'll explain. You know what top and bottom means and right, you know, that right, kind of right. You know, so yeah, I think David's just being an asshole here. Yeah, yeah. I I, w- I was kind of off put by the scene because I. I was kind of with Rico, like, oh, look at Rico. He, he's opening up, and there's David mm-hmm. kind of shutting him down. <laughs> you yeah. know? I, I, get, I guess we could kind of move to the birthday party. Okay. Where <laughs> uh, I kind of have here, in the same vein that Ruth, of course, would schedule her, her doctor's or dentist appointment on her birthday, Ruth also would have good, good china. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she has her normal plate. She has good china and then the good, good china. Uh-huh. And just sort of like I was kind of saying earlier where her saying I had, you know, I had an affair once just kind of showing off to Bettina. I kind of felt her that this was her being like, hey, I could be easy breezy too. You know, uh-huh. let's use the good, good China. Yeah, but you, you'll mm-hmm. you'll notice though that she that it takes Bettina coming in and giving well, her a push. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like it, it, it's, yeah. she wasn't going to use it, but then Bettina walked in. It's like, I don't know. Let, let's do that. It's fine. You know. Oh, I misunderstood. I thought you were talking about Lisa. Never mind. Sorry. Right, I, I may have. I'm screwing up names all over the place here. So we're good. Okay. This kind of popped into my head, but I feel like if if if, if like Bettina was smoking a cigarette, Ruth would be like, "Oh my god, I smoke all the time. Give me one." <laughs> like, you know, just to keep kind of showing Bettina she could be down, you know. Yeah. And and, and I guess I guess to that Lisa and Bettina, um Bettina kind of outshines Lisa here. I mean, this is Lisa's 
get together. This is Lisa's thing. She's put this whole thing together. And I mean, within moments, right? Bettina just comes in and, and, and wrecks everything. It's like, no, 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 get this table out of here. We're dancing tonight. And, yeah, she and... she kind of comes in like a tornado. And, yeah, yeah. Know, like I said before, a chaotic force. You know, yeah, no, and... she really is. Uh, yeah. What's what's uh what what was it? Sarah McLaughlin playing, and Bettina's uh, just like, get this shit off. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to listen to this Lilith Fair crap. <laughs> uh, oh God, just just so um so Bettina, I guess. And it's uh-huh. funny to say that because this is her fourth episode, but like, yeah, totally, you know. Many weird things in this episode. There was a few moments I laughed because it was so weird and like my body didn't know what to do. Lisa gives her gift to Ruth. Uh-huh. Forgetting that it was a foot massage because my mind had escaped that. Just the idea of getting a birthday card and reading it out loud in front of everyone. That kind of, uh-huh. I was too cringeworthy to read that. But we learned that it is a, well, first of all, uh, Lisa got her a, a, a coupon for a free foot massage from Lisa. And mm-hmm. and that uh, Lisa chose this over the impersonal Beth Saltz, as we learned from Nate. Yeah. Well, I think that I think that Ruth read the the card aloud because you know, a she's a little drunk and she's true, true. And you know, she's having a good time. She's feeling festive, and you know, I think she's just kind of enjoying herself. You know, and and maybe maybe reserved Ruth wouldn't have done that. That's true. But, That's a good point. You know, but but fun Ruth. You know, she's going to read the card, and so everybody <laughs> can appreciate it. And you know, it's. It's it's such a character departure, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. But th- this party turns into watching Lisa gives Ruth a foot massage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. I'm. I guess I'm kind of like Ruth in that I'm not. I was never one for massages. Yeah. But furthermore, um, I don't know if I could get a foot massage from any from anyone other than my significant other. Like I could never have my if I was married my father in law. <laughs> yeah, no, not, not so much. Uh, but like the whole party turns into this watching them. And I mean, I guess because they're kind of all hanging out. But, oh, I just found it so, so odd. And, and I mean, when, when when the scene turns to the foot massage, there's that, like that R&B sexy music playing. Uh-huh. And, and and I guess I guess I'm with Nate here because when Nate is watching them, <laughs> Lisa and Nate... Are, are kind of almost like they're in like a porno. Yeah, is, I mean, seriously, it, it could have been the bow chica wow wow. It really could have. It might as well have. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, just such amazing levels of creepiness going on. You know what that scene kind of reminds me of, and when Nate sees it, and Lisa kind of whips her hair, her head around, and mm-hmm. giggles, and everybody's laughing. You know, it reminds me of a scene in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm-hmm. where uh, uh, the when Tara and Willow have faux sex mm-hmm. like not not really they're 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 working a spell together okay and so the the candles are everywhere they're breathing hard they're sweating and it's and in the commentary i think joss whedon even said you know i wanted to have a lesbian sex scene but i couldn't do it because it was on the wb <laughs> so it was he, so what he did was he took all of the visuals right, right. And, and and put it in this different kind of um scenario right which, right but you know it, yeah. I mean, Ruth and and Lisa in that moment, yeah. Just just start up the porno music already. <laughs> yeah, just and just the way the way they make them, you know, the way they make Ruth sexy and they make uh, uh, Lisa and Ruth sexy is just whoa. <laughs> yeah. This little dream that Nate brings up that he he was getting a foot massage and 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 he brings up that everyone was there except uh, Bettina and Keith and whatever. 
Did you pick up on it, what that was supposed to mean? Because he kind of he stops halfway because this is what he's telling about that dream is when he has this little, you know, he, he this vision of, of, you know, Lisa giving Ruth a sexy foot massage. And that's when he kind of stops and just kind of, oh, I got to go outside. Did you pick uh-huh. up on anything on what that dream was supposed to be? Because I had no idea. No, not really. It's uh, I, I did have something else about that scene. But but no, as, as far as that dream, no, uh, mm-hmm. it was just. Kind of a random dream, the way yep. they are, I think. And, and what else about that scene? When um, when Lisa says that, you know, the, the foot massage and the dinner and everything, it was the least they could do, but, you know, because uh, Ruth is letting them stay there. Yeah. And Ruth says, well, don't worry about it, dear, you're family. Mm-hmm. And, and in the commentary, Alan Poole talks about, you know, the, the look that David and Keith kind of trade because yeah. Keith has actually been around longer. Yeah. What I think is kind of ironic about that, though, is that... Yeah, Keith has been around for long, you know longer, but at the end of the, uh, this season two, David is having his little breakdown, and he says, "You know, I thought I was your family." And Keith says, "Well, you're not." Now mm. all of a sudden, they consider you know Keith, Keith thinks that he should be considered family. Yeah, that's I totally forgot about that. Yeah, 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 and they make it a point that season two fight to say that, and they then they make it a point here to say. <laughs> You know, he's like Keith. No offense, you're not family or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a funny point. So I just thought that I just thought that was really ironic. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Six Feet Under definitely deals in realism, right? This is a show that doesn't really go too far off the mark of what's real and not. Nate, when Nate goes outside to have a cigarette and he comes back in, and this is when they're all sort of checking out the opera, and we learn that Nate changed his shirt mm-hmm. and he had swigged uh, Listerine. Yeah, I'm a smoker. I've been a non-smoker also, and you know, you've if you've ever been around a non-smoker, you know that changing your shirt and listerine doesn't work. No, uh, so, no not at all. So again, it, very. I'm you mean nitpicking here, right? But well, uh, mm-hmm. well what it kind of reminded me of is I, I've never been a smoker, but I was in uh, I was in fifth grade, I think, and I handed in a, a paper, you know, to, to my teacher, and she just looks up at me and says. Somebody in your family is a smoker. <laughs> so, so not not even it, she could even smell the second hand. Yeah, you know, and you know damn well. Oh, actually, was Lisa ever a pot smoker? Or did we ever get that idea? No, right? Uh, I, I, you know what? I can see that it it might be plausible. Uh, I don't think that it's ever established. Because I, I mean, I have Lisa as never ever touching a. a a pot cigarette. I can't believe I just said that. Uh, 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 anything, anything in the well, I, even well, though her yeah, being I mean, a hippie, I guess her, at least her in her motherhood now, right? No, no, not now. But I just mean, there's no way she didn't smell it, you know. Oh yeah. And, and I guess she, I guess it's just meant to to us to know, like you know, Nate kind of sneaked out to have a cigarette and whatnot. It's not supposed to uh-huh. be the realism of whether or not she could smell it. <laughs> Uh, and this sort of like, you know, uh, everyone, you know, they're having a nice dancing party scene. Uh, probably uh-huh. one of the happiest Six Feet Under moments that you yeah. see everyone just hanging out. Yeah, I think actually Alan Poole says in the commentary that this is the only time in the series where everybody's happy. Yeah, and see, that's funny because there, there's, there's, a, there's a part later on. It's another dinner scene that I, in my head is one of my happiest moments of Six Feet Under. Uh-huh. I know it's in season five. But yeah, he did say that on the commentary, and and that's interesting. But you know, we 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 see here that Nate is downstairs sleeping. Yeah, and I guess we could I, sort of get. Go ahead. Actually, I had one more thing to say about that last scene. Just something I noticed uh-huh. when they're all dancing. What I think is really funny is uh, Michael C. Hall has done Broadway. 
I mean, he's he's a singer and dancer. He's yeah. he's very he's well trained. Yeah. David is a terrible dancer. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, that fits his character. Uh huh. And I think it, 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 and I keep bringing up other shows, and I don't really mean to, but no. it kind of reminds me of an episode of Sex in the City, okay. where where Miranda is lying to men and telling her that she's a uh, a flight attendant <laughs> because you know apparently being a lawyer is a turnoff, or at least she's decided it is, <laughs> and and they actually had to have a conversation in uh, between uh, Michael Patrick King and Cynthia Nixon about how good an actress Miranda would be. <laughs> versus how good an actress Cynthia Nixon is. Right. Cynthia Nixon is amazing. Miranda, not so much. Right, you know, and, right. and it just kind of reminds me that you know that David would be such a bad dancer, while Michael C. Hall probably can dance really well. And yeah, and I think that's that's like definitely. Um, I don't know what you would call this, but hey, don't act as good. <laughs> like you know, like hey, I know, I know you probably are a good dancer. Dance awkwardly. Yeah. That's probably harder to do than dancing good. If that makes any sense, you know. Yeah. You know, fake make 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 a worse English accent. You know. Yeah. So we see here that uh, Nate is sleeping downstairs, and I feel like this is the most introspective Nathaniel has been when when he pops mm-hmm. back up, and we see that you know essentially that Nate is turning into Nathaniel, but he's sort of facing it off. Has he said, well, or is this is this in my head that Nathaniel goes buddy boy, or is that in my head? Uh, well, he said maybe that. not here, but like throughout the show, because I have the I have the term. As calling someone out, like, hey, buddy boy. I feel like that's a Nathaniel or a Richard Jenkinson Jenkins thing. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, Nathaniel has said that before in the, in the show. I can't remember if he says it in the scene. Right, right. But, yeah, and, and you know, um, they come to the point where, where you, know, Nathan, you know, Nate goes to Nathaniel, you know, I love my family, and, and I'm not going to leave. I'm not 5,000 miles away like you are. Uh-huh. And I think it's, it's such a great counterpoint that Nathaniel says is, like, you know, because I stuck around, that doesn't mean I didn't love them either. Like, you know? Yeah. But Nate is turning into Nathaniel, and it's kind of... It, I, I feel like it's more being forced upon him. Actually, no, it is, right? Because he's a funeral director. He didn't want to be a funeral director. He he got married to a woman who they thought it was a good idea because they had a child. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, if you look at it, uh, yeah, in a sense, Nathaniel was, you know, quote-unquote, forced into it too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's, it's definitely repeating, a, you know, the... Repeating history. Sort of what, what, what I... I guess it is rather simple, right? Because they kind of spell it out for you. Because Six Feet Under doesn't usually do it like this, where, where Nate and Nathaniel have this really not, too, not, not subtle conversation of, you know, Nate turning into Nathaniel. But the idea of... Who do you... I mean, I guess kind of because they're, they're both blood, it would make sense. But do you think Nate is more like Nathaniel or is Lisa more like Ruth? Like, what do you think is more? I think that uh, Nate is more like Nathaniel. I guess so, right? I mean, just because, I mean, they're following in, literally in the footsteps, you know? Yeah. Being in the funeral and home and everything. And mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to see how, how much Nate has actually changed. You know, it, like you say, it's been like, what, two years? Nate has changed a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, because we kind of see it at the end, right? Where he's... He's fighting it off, and and just this this end sort of end scene where he he realizes he doesn't want to be like Nathaniel. So after the birthday party, you know, he thanks her for the birthday party, and and he goes, "Hey, I just want to thank you for being present. You know, thank mm-hmm. you for being there. Thank you for whatever." And kind of like how we spoke earlier, Lisa just takes this as wholly offensive. Like, yeah. wow, is it that easy? Is it you know? Have you been working? And I guess I guess what we kind of see is that 
Nate actually has been the one working and Lisa hasn't. Like this has yeah. been easy for Lisa and Well yeah, and you know, and the way she responds to that, has it has it been that hard for you? You know, right. and you know, are you sure? Are you really sure? Are you totally sure? And she's like interrogating him. <laughs> uh I, I kind of felt bad for Nate there because kind of like I said yeah. before is that I understand what why Lisa gets offended but uh-huh. it, it wasn't meant to be offensive you know it was yeah. just it was like probably like the most Nate bear one of the most Nate bearing his soul moments like mm-hmm. hey just thank you for being you know for being in this relationship and yeah and it's funny because she's like I love you that's what kind of scares Nate off right he's so there in one moment the uh-huh. next moment when Lisa says, I love you so much, it terrifies me. The, yeah. m- the mention of Whole Foods is like, nope, I'll go out the door with my cigarettes, gone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there, there, there may as well have been like a cartoon smoke. <laughs> there really should you have. Know. <laughs> He's out. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we get the little nod that he sees his cigarettes and this whole yeah. thing. Um, but, yeah, just, just it's kind of, it's funny, like, that's the, just at the peak of Nate, I'm not going to be my father. I'm not anything. I love you so much. It terrifies me. Nate sized hole in the door. And he's, yeah. you know, we could probably kind of predict how it goes from here on out. Yeah. Uh, I guess something that we, well, we didn't gloss over, but we could get to um, uh, Claire, Russell, Olivier, and, and art school. Uh-huh. I like that Scott's claim to fame. I'm calling Scott. I know his name is Scott. I'm calling him Charlotte's husband from Sex and the City. <laughs> Tricking people into burning the American flag. I thought that was kind of funny. You know, it's uh-huh. actually it's actually kind of brilliant. I would love yeah. to have been in the I, w- I would love to have been in the writers' room when they were coming up with that. <laughs> you know, like what is the most you know uh, potent thing that we could actually have had this this character do? Right. And having having the uh, he he calls them right wing assholes burning the american flag i mean that's amazing <laughs> that's really funny it's really yeah. funny uh I, you know we, we were kind of talking about this off mic and i guess this is the make or break point on on how much we're going to spend the actual dialogue between olivier and scott uh-huh. i kind of just have that i mean the way kind of like two college bros would be like you know uh, um this is what smithville football is all about and you know they're kind of pumped it's kind of like I felt like they were doing when they're yelling at each other about, you know, you're not an artist, you're a fucking whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like I told you before we started recording, they're, 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 they're definitely frenemies. Right, like, right. Like, I, I, I get that they're friends, but I also think they, you know, they, they kind of hate each other at the same time. You know? But I wonder if they do, or is this, is it the entire relationship just fraudulent where it's, because well, we, we get, we get the idea, right, where, where Olivier is like, you know, he has a serious moment with Claire and Russell, and he's just like, every nasty thing I said to him was the truth, mm-hmm. and every flattering thing was a lie. Yeah. Be- before before we get back to Scott, I love that the next words out of his mouth was nothing but flattering. <laughs> to- oh, yeah. And they eat it up. They eat it oh, up. Oh, they totally do. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you fucking guys not see this? Like, he's totally just... And I guess I guess it doesn't matter, right? And I guess that's maybe some of Olivier's thing. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter if I think your work sucks or I think your work is great. Like, you're an artist, you know? You know, but at, at the same time, I think it's... Uh, I mean, Olivier is obviously like a, a, a mastermind fucker. Master manipulator, yep. Yeah, and he's... And I can't tell who he's trying to seduce more in that, in that little flattery scene. <laughs> uh, while, um, you know, like... Is he he keeps telling them both that they're brilliant, and 
you know, and then, you know, who cares what I think. But he's he's definitely manipulating both of them. And almost kind of Claire more, because almost like uh, um, when, you know, they, they talk about why I want to be an artist and whatever, and then they kind of go to Ruth and Russell, and they're just like, well, why do you want to be an artist? And I forget mm-hmm. what Claire says. It's something so small, sad, and benign compared to why uh, they're artists. Uh-huh. Yeah, she says that she has a lot of pain, and, and Scott basically just calls bullshit on that. But the way she says it, too, like her shoulders yeah. are slumped. And it's like, because I have pain. It's like, okay, sure you do. And Russell, you know, uh, Russell's like, if I'm not an artist, I, I, I want to kill myself. I want to die. I On the commentary, Alan Poole is like, Claire's telling the truth, and Russell is just kind of trying to feed into their egos, trying to impress them. Well, I think that, that when, uh, yeah, when Russell responds and he's saying what he thinks that they want to hear i think he's yeah he's trying to impress both of them and see i i, I saw that i saw that same thing too it's like oh you russell's full of shit here but i didn't see his claire's telling the truth i kind of i guess Ru- claire just kind of said whatever came to her mind i didn't i didn't know that she was speaking god i can't believe i'm gonna say this from the eye inside you know just <laughs> really telling the truth of, of how she felt uh, i just i i don't know i guess i kind of both felt like they were just trying to impress them Russell yeah. Moore, though, you know Russell Moore for sure. Yeah, and and the part about uh, uh, Russell when he says, uh, "If I can't create art, I don't want to live." The crazy eyes, the that mm-hmm. he has in that that moment, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely creepy. I and yeah. and, I, and I totally buy it. If he couldn't be an artist, he would kill himself. <laughs> when well, let me ask you: You lived in L.A. You've ever been to the Watts Towers? No, I haven't, but I've always wanted to go, or I always wanted to go. I read, I read this other review. There's this woman, uh, Billy Doe, I believe her name is. She wrote reviews back in 2003, and they're really short. They're just kind of her thoughts on the episode, and she had the same exact comment you did. Uh, I'm in L.A. I think she was still in L.A. She's kind of like, I better get over to Watts Towers before I have to leave L.A. And I meant to ask my other friend if she's ever been there. Uh, their conversation here, I, I, I don't think I took much. Uh, I don't know. I guess they were kind of having like a, a mid-school crisis about what is art, what is success. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. This is the shit that flies over my head because I kind of it, – it's something It's something I always had a blind eye towards in Six Feet Under, just this, this journey that Claire takes. And I guess Russell is taken in this episode. Uh-huh. Their whole conversation dialogue at the Watts Tower, I don't know. Maybe you could sound smarter than I do. Uh, if yeah, not, it's okay, too, because I don't... Well, no, I, I really mean, I, I have stuff, and I'm trying to think of how to say it. it you know, it's, um, you know, Claire asked the question about, you know, what defines success? Money? Is it fame? Is it the critics loving you? And she wonders if the, if the artist who created Watts Towers, you know, the critics loved it. It's celebrated everywhere, you know, blah, blah, blah. What if he thought it was complete shit? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah. Um, and and again, and I, I really wish I could talk about this, but yeah, there are spoilers involved. But Russell's creepiness in this scene is just off the charts. <laughs> and and all I'll say is foreshadowing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because he's, you know, he, t- he tells Claire, you know, maybe she hasn't found something that's worth cutting an ear off for. Dude, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever been that passionate about anything in my life. No, me neither. Where I would, I would cut an ear off for. Um, well, yeah. yeah, and Claire even says, you know, that's insane. And, <laughs> and, and Russell's like, well, you still have a hole there. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, what rationalization really? is that, man? Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, the, the creepy factor on that on yeah. that moment is just yeah. off the charts. <laughs> Uh, something, something I wanted to say that Alan Poole had brought up in the commentary because I was thinking this, and I kind of thought it the past few episodes when when Phil is with Claire, but here when when they're in the uh, the, the bar with Scott and and um, Olivier, you know, there's certain scenes where Lauren Ambrose looks absolutely beautiful, and I'm not saying that she always doesn't, right? But I mean, even even in this episode, uh, I forget her name in real life, Lisa. Lisa's pretty, but then in those mm-hmm. like sexy scenes, she's made to be like, whoa, you know, yeah. Just the way they they shoot them and they 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 kind of um um you know dress them up. I, I like that he he had said that like you know we meant we 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 we, we fashioned Claire to look extra extra beautiful, beautiful when they blur out the background in these bar scenes and Claire's just really Lauren Ambrose is really all in her glory looks wise, you know? Yeah. I thought that was and a I nice can, touch. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if, um, if they actually, if he actually mentions this on the commentary, but I think they even like added uh, warm lighting to her to really bring out the color of her hair and to kind of give her a glow. And... Yeah. Yeah. I, and I noticed that a few times during six feet on that they do this definitely in this episode. And again, it's like I'm saying, it's funny saying this because it's like, what, is she, she's either always beautiful or she's not. But they bring it out more. They extract it more, oh, yeah. you know, during those scenes. And it's like, well, my damn Claire. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. And Olivier actually says to her, and God created beauty. And then he retired. <laughs> and, because, and because this episode was co-written by Alan Ball, yeah. I kind of wondered if that, was a, if that was a line that he meant to put in American Beauty. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. I can't wait to get to American Beauty. I'll get there. Definitely doing that between season four and five. Mm-hmm. There's so much uh, six feet under in that. Yeah. Um, when when the next day they're at in Claire's house and you know they're they're on the bed and uh, it's funny that I uh, I didn't pick this up but it's funny when Alan Poole mentions it on the commentary where we get to reveal that Russell isn't gay uh-huh. or so he says to Claire. Yeah. There's two things for me here. Uh-huh. I ha- <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I have the scene on now where they're dancing, and David is horrible. <laughs> yeah, he Listen, is. Listen, I'm a bad dancer, okay? And, and I was having this conversation. My dance move is the two-step. I just waddle uh-huh. from side to side. You can never go wrong. <laughs> no one's going to say I'm bad. No one's going to say I'm good. I'm just, uh-huh. I'm just there. David is but, horrible. But he's, he's like moving his – he's, he's yeah. doing uh, – what do they and call that dance? He's doing the, Car- he's doing the Carlton. Yeah, but he's kind of like jerking his body really awkwardly. Yeah. I don't have the sound on, but I could tell it's offbeat. Like you know, like. well, and uh, oh, and boy. I just happened to remember in the first season they had that that little um, that little fantasy sequence of uh, of Claire where yeah. they're where they kind of do their little show tune. Oh number. yeah, 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 and he's great. He's amazing in that. Yeah, he, I mean, he is a good dancer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely has moves, yeah, because he's amazing in that. His his body's just, like, free-flowing, and he's, like, weirdly contorting his body. Like, you can't even call yeah. it dancing. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like he's being given, like, electric oh, shocks or something. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, um, <laughs> but, but, but back to Russell and Claire. Um, so, on the right, they, you get this reveal that Russell's not gay, and there's all this tension, right? Uh, I mm-hmm. was cringing watching this scene, waiting for Russell to go in for the kiss, and it was like... Uh, Credit to the show, right, for not going for that cliche with the yeah. moment they're looking at each other's eyes and everything. Uh, yeah, because it would have been really easy for them to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but what on the commentary, what was interesting that he said that they made it a point to show Russell's feet 
Uh-huh. So while Russell is telling us he's not gay, his feet in the background are supposed to signify something else. Somewhat of, I guess, foreshadowing. I just um, think it, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like I've told you, know, it's, it's no secret at this point. I'm not straight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I lay down with my feet like that all the time. <laughs> and do you? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think. That, uh, I guess the scene's coming up here, but was his feet just crossed up in the air? Yeah, he's laying on his stomach. The, scene, and the it, scene's and coming his... on right now, so I'll be able to comment better. I'm assuming I... You know what I started thinking about? You know you know what they... Uh, they don't call it the gay hand, but what, what, what I guess people do sometimes to like signify that someone is gay? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the sort of limp wrist... I'm actually doing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, is I do I do it too. Like, that's not, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to say gay tendencies, but I don't know. Why, are, are, you, are you claiming that, that 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 is a gay move, a gay stance, a gay resting I, position? Honestly, I, I can only comment, you know, from my own experience. Uh, right. You know, you would just have to tell me, is that something that you do commonly? I, mean, uh, I don't know. I, I'm waiting for it to come up here. Okay. Oh, okay. I see it now. Um... I don't. I can't say that I do. Okay. But I am also not paying attention, so I don't know. You know. Yeah. Well, when I watch TV, you know, in bed, like what, I'm watching Netflix or something, I lay like that. Hmm. So you know, I, I like I said, I can only speak from my own experience. Right. I see. I see what he's doing with the feet now. Um. I guess. I guess. In, in, in you know, in a television sense, where he's laying down, and. How else can he show that maybe there's something else going on? How else are you going to do that, right? What I love about that, though, is that in the commentary, Alan Poole says that Ben Foster was just laying like that. <laughs> and and when Alan Poole saw it, he was like, we have to capture that. So, <laughs> you know? yeah. so it, yeah. it was a total accident. Like, he wasn't yeah. directed to lay like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I'm just watching them now and the, 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 the eye lasers between them. And it's like, oh, fucking yeah. kiss already. And what I love about that is, you know, once it's... You know, once Claire says, you know, I think we've established that you're not gay, <laughs> Claire immediately starts blushing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, funny. you know, so it's, you know, she's smitten with him. She sure is. Yep, for sure. It, it's there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess to um, uh, the actual funeral uh, of Kevin, mm-hmm. this, I tried to do some research on what this actual opera was, and it kind of was too highbrow for me. But uh, I guess uh, Nucci is that the creator? I really don't know. I mean, it's, I it's read... like a, it's like I told you off, Mike. I did not get that part of the gay gene. <laughs> so you know, I I know nothing about the the the, to, the to, pro- yeah to, the to production, my... the story. I don't know anything. To my little research, this is essentially a an aria, which I don't know what that is. A R I A of a play that was unfinished, and basically it was. Uh, um, the princess could kill this guy if she found out his name before midnight. Oh, okay. And and what what that signifies, what it means, I don't know. The name of the play in Italian does mean um, nobody sleeps. Mm-hmm. Actual meaning of the play, uh, maybe I'm being that this is a, a six feet on the podcast. Maybe I should have done more research. Uh, it was just kind of what over my head, all of it, you know. Uh, it, it was beautiful, especially mm-hmm. when the guy is singing at the end. Oh, it was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. The the part about that, you know, the the scene that I mean, really it just it punched me right in the heart is when um is when Kevin is uh delivering the eulogy. And it it Alan Ball and, and the other writer, I can't remember uh his name, 
they wrote that scene so perfectly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and him up there talking, he acted it perfectly. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and he gets to the end of everything he's saying, and he says, uh, it wasn't always easy, it wasn't always fun, but it was always worth it. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, practically bawling. <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, what, what I what I had picked out from his speech is, is he does I forget in what context, but he says sticking around, uh-huh. and you know that's sort of the thing with Nate and Nathaniel about sticking around. So I did like the the symmetry there for that. But when he mentions worth it, that's kind of what sends Dave into a tailspin. And you know what, Rico, I, I think all of them this this speech touches you know the three of them. Oh yeah, they're they're all, all three of them are uh, Rico, uh, Nate, and David. They're all visibly moved. Yeah. Um, but David is nearly brought to tears. Yeah, yeah. He's fighting them back. If if, yeah. if no one else was around, he definitely would have started bawling. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and in the commentary, too, right, I just want to point out that they said they even brought in, like, stage lights. They didn't use their normal, you know, movie yeah, shooting, the, the you yeah. know, TV show. That they brought in, like, the big guns to make this really look opera, which was... Mm-hmm. Amazing, beautiful on on all accounts. You know, no oh, idea yeah. what the play, what the opera was about. No idea what the guy is singing, but yeah. beautiful. <laughs> you know, uh, I guess uh, our our episode closes out. And just thinking back, I think this series is at its highest point, or maybe most touching, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. When uh, two fishers connect, mm-hmm. and. Here we get like you know, which doesn't happen often in this show, but Claire and Ruth connecting. Yeah, and we see here, you know, uh, Claire. She's showing her interest and her, her, you know, her newfound art, newfound hope for art, and a glimpse into the future of what might be. She says, "Yeah, well, the, the last time that she did this, it was um, when she came. I think it was when she came back from visiting Lack Arts, and she admits to Gary that she, you know, she wants this. She wants it, and and I love." Claire when she's happy and enthusiastic. Yeah, it's so because, ambitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, it's not something that we see a whole lot of from Claire. Right. Yeah, but when but when she gets in that kind of headspace, it's great. And we see here that uh, Claire asks Ruth to join her to a museum, and mm-hmm. and you know, in the 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 least Ruth way ever, there's no bickering, and it's you know, old Ruth wants to put some stuff away first, whether it's uh-huh. these sheets or these plates, but. Yeah, I have in my notes here, new Bettina Ruth 2000 says, nope, we can do it later, you know? I literally have in my notes, in very unruth-like fashion, yeah. she leaves a, yeah. she leaves a task undone. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because, like, you know, early in the episode, Bettina's like, you know, Lisa, will you stop catering to us and fucking come have fun yeah, with us? Yeah, sit down. <laughs> that's that's how Ruth always was, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I really, I really, I just, it's such a nice way to close out an episode. And it's always, I always get those like heartfelt moments from Six Feet Under when two of the Fishers connect. Just yeah. off the top of my head when, when, when uh, the military episode and Dave, Nate tells David, he just puts his hand on him and says, hey man, I love you. It's just like, you know, uh-huh. those are the moments I always, uh, there's a Claire and, uh, um, Dayton, Claire and David scene. I just remember she's on a, a washing machine, they're talking and. That's just always the moments that, that grip me from this show. Um, I, I believe that's to the end of our episode. Is there anything I glossed over or anything that you wanted to touch upon? Yeah, I mean, there was something, that, and I can't remember what it is now, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, in the commentary, the Alan Poole is talking about one of the scenes between Claire and Russell and Scott and Olivier. Mm-hmm. And he says something in the commentary, and I didn't write it down. I'm looking at my notes right now, and I, I'm kicking myself for not writing it down. Mm-hmm. But... Um, 
he says something about uh, I think it was um, Olivier's motivation and uh, specifically to uh, to Russell, mm-hmm. and and he says something about you know and and I disagreed with Alan Poole and and it goes back to what we keep saying about how people can watch the very same scenes and and experience it completely different ways. Totally, totally. Be- because I'm disagreeing with the director. <laughs> he he knows what that that moment was supposed to be they sat down and they talked about it he directed them you know this is what you're trying to convey in this moment and i actually disagreed with him yeah yeah so you know it's and i really wish i had written it down i think it was i think it actually went to uh russell's uh sexuality Mm -hmm. something i like as i get older is is, uh ambiguity and sopranos is really good at it i mean i'm sure you know what the final scene is david and in sopranos Sopranos? yeah yeah, I, I'm I'm vaguely aware of what of what happens. Yeah. Spoilers here, but screen just goes to black. The yeah. series just cuts, and yeah. th- there's this world of questions of what happens. There are so many open for 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 as much as TV uh, finalities we are like we always need a hey David you know uh, uh, what do they call that check out gun? You show the gun in the first scene, you have to fire. Oh in the yeah, third scene. yeah. Uh, yeah. Sopranos kind of blew that up a little bit where there's huge character points and. You never get the answer. Yeah. And just kind of like that where Alan Poole wrote it that one way, but you disagreed despite he's the motherfucker who created it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Know? He That's, knows exactly that. what that moment was. Right, right. Yeah. Um. Okay. So that uh, wraps up our episode, David. You are on Twitter as... Stuff Junkie. And I am under Twitter at Digging Podcast. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm at Digging Six Feet Under. Uh, email the show. I'm at God damn it. <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm going to edit out all of the coughing prior, but I'm leaving that one in because poor <laughs> David has had to sit there and just listen to me cough this entire fucking episode. <clears throat> I'm going to leave that cough in there too. Hopefully it doesn't hurt your ears, listeners. I just want to add here that David graciously took his time to edit out all the coughing. Uh, if if you can't tell I'm dying and coughing the entire episode, it's because David edited it out. And after we recorded, uh, we just found this end piece really funny. So uh, thanks to David for editing all of the coughing out and editing the episode in total. Yes, email me at digging six feet under a bunch of coughing at gmail.com. <laughs> and uh, join me next week as I'll be discussing episode five of season three titled The Trap with Megan Rooney. Thank you for listening, everyone. Holy fuck. Psychic spots from China try to steal Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. It's the edge of the world in all of Western civilization. The sun may rise in the east, at least it's settled in a final location. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.